Welcome to the Lessons in Real Estate Show, bringing you information directly from industry leaders in multifamily and commercial real estate. Each week, Anthony Pinto interviews top multifamily experts and digs into the hard lessons learned on their pathways to success. We get real to give you a more comprehensive picture and help you avoid pitfalls others won't tell you about. You'll learn about raising money, growing your portfolio, and attracting investors to your cause. And now your host, Anthony Pinto. Welcome to another episode of Lessons of Real Estate Show. I'm your host, Anthony Pinto, and we are excited to have you here today. If you are enjoying the show, please leave us a five-star rating and review. If you haven't already, don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. Welcome to another episode of the Lessons of Real Estate Show. I'm your host, Anthony Pinto, and you're going to get a lot of value out of this guy today. Our guest is Phil Caprone, a good friend and a mentor. Phil, welcome to the show. Hey, Anthony. What's up, man? Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course, man. Of course. I've been uh, wanting to talk to you for a while because we keep running into each other for RIA meetups and conferences, and I feel like we haven't really sat down and chatted, so I've been looking forward to this for a while. You know what? I was going to say we talk all the time, but you're absolutely right. The only time we talk is when we just have a quick snippet. It's not a, right. you know, it's not a real real thing. We're always in the middle of 10 other things at a, at a, at a meetup or something. So yeah, this so, will, it's going to be fun. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, all right. So uh, I, if you guys didn't know, Phil's actually uh, the very first person to introduce me into apartment buildings and uh, larger multifamily investments. Um, we met at the local trade meeting last year or holiday party last year. Yeah. The local uh, meet, real estate meetup group. Yeah. And uh, I actually I had no idea that apart, buying apartments buildings was a thing until Phil gave me his car. Is like, Phil buys apartments. So I'm like, wow, I didn't even know that was a thing. So awesome. Um, and then we kind of kind of went from there. Uh, but let's see. So you're obviously a multifamily investor now. Uh, you're a veteran, uh, best-selling author. Um, and so you started using your VA loan to purchase a property in Norfolk uh, while you're stationed there as a SWIC. Um, and then you got your real estate license, started helping buyers and sellers use their VA loan to purchase properties. And then you made your transition into multifamily investor. And uh, now you're just crushing it left and right across the country buying, uh, buying properties. So I'm really excited to hear what you have to say on that. So uh, that's kind of a quick snippet about you. Can you tell us a little bit about how you, how you got into real estate or specifically multifamily and kind of take it from there? Sure. So thanks for a great intro. Um, you, you hit all the, the kind of the big rocks there. Um, I bought my first property using a VA loan in 2010. Um, yeah, I moved from California where training was to Norfolk, uh, my first duty station. And I always kind of knew that there was something to real estate. We had just experienced, you know, the biggest crash of, you know, any, anyone's lifetime, you know, except for the, the few folks hanging around that lived through the depression um, in real estate. So I'm looking at the values of what they were in the mid two thousands and what they, uh, you know, actually were in, in 2010. I'm like, this has to be a, a good deal. Right. So I did a little bit of digging, a little bit of research and ultimately bought uh, a four bedroom, three and a half bath property right around the corner from base. Um, had some nice amenities close to the beach, close to restaurants. And it just worked out for, uh, myself and a, a handful of 20 somethings, um, you know, who were at my command. So I uh, house hacked that is the, is the proper term, though I didn't know it back then, and actually received more rent every month than what my mortgages and expenses were. And I thought this is, you know, this is pretty cool. So I took a real estate agent class. And um, when I was getting ready to separate from the Navy, I actually had a duplex under contract down the street from my first house. And when they found out that I was getting out of the military, they terminated my loan or denied my loan. And I didn't have the tools in the toolbox then to figure out how to fund it using alternative methods and let the deal go. And, you know, I had it under contract for like 70 grand and it just sold for, I think, 225 last year. I was so sick, you know, eight years later or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, it, it's been a journey. And, and as you mentioned, I sold homes uh, to and for my buddies from my command in different units for you know, a few years and then got into the flipping game. And then finally, um, you know, took action on the knowledge I'd been receiving for the, the past decade that owning assets is how you become wealthy and bought my first small apartment building, a 13 unit. And, uh, you know, the rest, as they say, is history. Anything you want me to elaborate on there? Or is that kind of, kind of good? 
for the the precursor to multifamily. Yeah, no, I mean that's that's great. So um, you know that it really kind of shows a testament to your your willpower and your determination that you know you went from having a duplex denied to going to next next was at thirteen units. Is that what you said? Yeah, but it took me six years, you know, or five yeah. years, four or five five years it's between the two, right? So you know, my I'm wondering how my life would be radically different if I had the tool in the toolbox that once the you know the conventional loan, I think it was a Freddie Mac loan, um, got denied on that, that I could have pivoted and found another method to get that funded and would have become a landlord back in 2011 or 12 versus, you know, I had a, a couple properties, my own, and then, um, you know, a little condo, but that's not, you know, it, it, it gave me some lessons about, you know, bad tenants and screening and um, leases and, and stuff like that. But it, it's not the same as owning like, an apartment building. If I would have accelerated that learning curve, where I would be today is probably a lot different. But I'm very happy with where I am today. So, I guess uh, I guess it's all good. Yeah, I mean the gray hairs definitely add a lot of credibility to uh, to your look. So <laughs> thanks, buddy. I've earned them. <laughs> um, so so getting into that uh, to that 13 or sorry, go back to the duplex. Um, so you talked about being able to use creative financing to get that deal done rather than having to do Freddie Mac. So looking, knowing what you know now, what are the different methods you could have brought to your, I guess, advantage to get this, take this deal down? Well, I had the down payment, you know, I had, you know, I think Freddie Mac wanted 10%, but I could have done 20 or 25. I could have easily gone and gotten a hard money loan, you know, which, um, as I'm sure your listeners know is, is relatively high interest, but it's based more on the asset than the borrower. And this little duplex at the time, received, you know, 1350 a month in rent and mortgage on 60 or 70 grand is what? <laughs> 500 bucks a month, mm -hmm. you know? So if I'd gone in, taken a hard money loan, done a couple improvements, you know, and then taken it out to any other bank as, you know, an asset-based loan versus a personal loan, I probably would have been successful. I could have raised private money, which um, you know, I didn't have experience with until I got into the flipping business. And, you know, I, as I started to accumulate more projects needed to go beyond my own personal capital. So, um, you know, fortunately one of my great friends from, from the Navy had done really well over his 20 years and said, Hey man, you know, I've got a few hundred grand, let's do this flipping thing. So, um, you know, if I'd known that raising private money was a thing, I could have done it that way. And, you know, paid someone a really nice return until I could have gotten a more formal bank loan, you know, so those were just two easy methods. Um, it was a foreclosure, so there would be no seller financing or anything like super creative, but, you know, hard money and private money are two great resources for somebody that's newer in the game. Oh, for sure. Um, that's actually, it's scarily similar to the deal that we had with the triplex. Um, Dumb me didn't realize that a residential loan that comes with certain restrictions on the amount of money you had to have in your account before you purchase that property. Well, I didn't have that money. I knew I was always going to raise the money privately. So I had to switch from doing a residential loan to a commercial loan, um, which was ended up being a lot more beneficial um, just in terms of the rates and the closing process. But um, yeah, I mean, it was a huge, it was a huge pivot. And I thought the whole deal was going to fall apart when I realized that. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, it ended up working out, but you know, it's, it just goes to show you that, you know, re resourcefulness is, is probably one of the best resources you can have as a real estate investor. And, you know, you just hit a speed bump and you just go over it and it keep going or you find some bypass around that wall that comes up in front of you. And it looks like you, I mean, you ended up doing that in, in the end here. Um, so, okay. So moving into this 13 unit. So, um, so you, so you obviously did do the duplex, you started doing flipping, and then you just jumped straight into a 13 unit. How did that, how did you kind of make that transition? By accident. Okay. I, I hate, I hate to give that answer because it, it's like, it kind of like cheapens the journey, but it's mm -hmm. the truth. So like I said, um, I'm sure that everyone listening to this, they're, you know, they may be further down the path, but there's possibility that they're in education mode. Um, and education's great. The problem with education is that too much of it can actually paralyze you and cause you not to take action. So at a certain point, you, you got to leave the nest and you got to, 
you know, you got to have a little faith in yourself that you're going to be able to solve whatever problems arise. That is literally all real, real estate investing is, is solving problems as they come up that you had no idea would, would pop up in your horizon. Um, you know, but that's, that's this game. Um, you know, so, so the folks, the folks that are new, the danger of consuming too much information is that you never leave that space. And that's exactly where I was. Yes, I was doing a lot of residential brokerage. That's cool, but it's not passive income. Yes, I was doing a lot of flipping. Also cool, contributed to a lot of the gray hairs that you mm -hmm. aforementioned, right? <laughs> um, but I think that's a good experience for everyone. I think that's a good checkbox to deal with contractors and buyers and sellers and inspectors and appraisers. It's, it's, it's a good... Um, it's a good schoolhouse for a real estate investor. I think everyone should do at least a couple, um, even if you know their ultimate goal is bigger multifamily. Um, I hadn't yet grown out of that phase of my education. That to me was the ceiling, the pinnacle. I was a flipper. What could be better than that? I'd read Rich Dad Poor Dad. I'd read Millionaire Real Estate Investor. I'd read Investing Duplex, Triplexes, and Quads. Um, you know, you name it. Probably twenty other books staying in education, but had never done anything with them until I took a client and friend of mine to see this 13 unit complex. He wasn't able to make a deal on the complex because you know he's fairly sophisticated, owned 25 or 30 of his own properties at that point and didn't need a deal. So he was willing to buy them for a discount, but not for what the seller wanted. When I reported that back to the uh, listing broker, he said, well, he'll do seller financing. And I let him know that my guy had his own money and wasn't interested. And the broker said, well, would you buy it? And I, that had literally not occurred to me. Rich dad, poor dad, millionaire real estate investors, investing in triplexes, duplexes, and quads, all the other stuff on my bookshelf. And it didn't occur to me, the real estate agent, maybe I should buy it, right? As, as nuts as that is, that's where I was mentally at the point. Um, so just his asking the question, led me to go back to some of my mentors and um, trusted peers and say, guys, what do you think about this? And we sort of unpacked it and again, created a way forward where there wasn't one apparent. Um, so I raised a little bit of private money. The seller gave me a, a great seller financed, um, you know, loan long-term um, low interest rate, no, you know, appraisal, no inspection fees, no, credit check, no nothing, you know, if we showed up with the amount of money required for the down payment, the keys were mine. So, you know, that was kind of dangerous. And knowing what I know now, I did a whole lot wrong with the due diligence period. And there's things that I should have, you know, raised my hand and said, Hey, is this quite right? Oh, oh, I can't see that unit because they're sleeping or they're working or whatever. But it looks like the other ones sounds good to me. <laughs> Dumb, right? Yeah. But, um, you know, I ended up making the thing work. Um, you know, making some good money for my buddy that funded the down payment. And, you know, it, it, as the rent started to come in month after month after month, despite the calls for maintenance or various problems, the, the rents were arriving every month, probably not on the first, maybe on the fifth, maybe on the 10th. I don't know, but they, they came in and that to me over a few months proved concept that while it's not a tremendous amount of money in the way that a flip is when it closes and you feel so great, it's money that comes in regularly. You look at the amortization table on just call it a million bucks, you're paying off, you know, $20,000, $25,000 a year in principal pay down. Cool. Let's revisit that in 10 years. Like that's a pretty cool retirement plan. Mm -hmm. And that's what apartment buildings and larger commercial products can do for you. That single families just can't. I mean, you could rack up a bunch of them and, and sort of have some similarities there, but to have it under one roof, ideally, or in one complex, that's, I mean, that's the deal. That's the bell of the ball. Yeah, no, I mean, that totally makes sense. So I, I want to kind of hit on a few things as we kind of, you kind of blaze over them a little bit, but, you know, I, I want you guys to take note that, you know, Phil was talking about education is awesome, but too much of it can be a bad thing and ultimately you need to take action. Right. So get educated, read books. Great. But take action. You know, if you're thinking duplexes, smaller quads, you know, those types of deals. Great. Go do it. 
right? If you want to go do a large apartment, just go do it, right? Um, and then the second point I want to bring up is like, you learn the lessons as you were doing it. And I think that's, you know, that's, it's, it's rough to hear that because, you know, you, you could have found someone that could have helped you along and not make those same mistakes, right? Did you, did you find a mentor? Did you find a mentor before that? Or no, did you just kind of do no, it? No, I just lowered my head and charged through the, through the stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't necessarily advise that. If I would have had even my original buddy be a small partner on the deal, if I would have given him, say, 25% equity for free, just to make sure I didn't step in it on that deal, he would have saved me from easily $10,000 worth of mistakes. Fortunately, the deal was, was good enough that I was able to eclipse them anyway, just mm-hmm. you know, through the rents and um, in decent management. But you know, I really, I could have I learned some more expensive lessons on that property and it would have been worth every penny to have someone alongside me to, who'd been there before, you know? And um, this is a common thing that I see and I've experienced in, you know, the investor, I guess, marketplace, so to speak. I'll never forget my first flip. You know, I was a real estate agent and I was working with a gentleman who was flipping high-end houses. And I was stoked because I'd get to sell him the house on the way in and then I get to list it on the way out for a higher price. I get two commissions. I thought I was just killing the game until I looked at the settlement statement and I saw he was making 10 times what I was every, every transaction. So I said, wait a second, how do I get on this side of the coin? So again, back to education. I bought Flip. I bought you know, a couple other books on renovating properties and rehabbing and, you know, the whole academic process of it and really dug in. And then I started making bids on foreclosures. Eventually I got one and I said, this is going to be a great deal. You know, sent in my earnest money to, uh, it was a HUD property. So you had to send the earnest money in right away. And, you know, I went out to take a look at it with the contractor the following week. And the thing was, totally riddled with termites. I didn't even didn't know what a termite looked like. I, I did because of, um, you know, residential brokerage, but not a home that was in that bad of disrepair. Right. So I underestimated what it was going to be. Turns out that it was going to make the deal untenable. I had to walk and I told HUD, Hey, you know, I had termites. They're like, we don't care. Thanks for the thousand bucks nerd. And that was that. So, okay, cool. Thanks for playing. Try again. And it taken me about nine months just to get that first property under contract to find out that I'd wasted a grand. A lot of people would have stopped right there, but not, but not me. You know, I was determined to make this happen. A month later, found another foreclosure, got it under contract, brought the contractor in earlier this time to make sure that, oh no, did it freeze up? I can see oh, it. No, okay, good, good, good. Uh, it, it looked like the, the thing just lagged. So, um, so I brought the contractor in before I sent the money this time, lesson learned, and he gave me a whole budget of what it was going to cost, was buying it for 95, we were going to spend 25, we we're going to sell it for 180, and I was going to make $30,000 after paying off my hard money loan. Sounds pretty good for my first deal. So we buy it, we do the reno, the reno cost $30,000. And instead of being done in two months, it was more like three and a half. So it comes time to list the property. Do I list it for 180 as agreed? Of course not, as I have to eclip, I have to make up for that money I lost by going over on the reno. So I list it for 190. We get 10 showings week one, because it's you know the nicest house on the block, but zero offers. So then, you know, uh, two weeks go by, I reduce to 185 couple more showings, an offer at 175. I say 180. They said, nope. A couple more weeks go by. I reduce to 179.9. I get an offer. 169.9. Say 175. And they say, no. (laughs) So you see where this story is going. Mm -hmm. Um, My hard money lender was a friend and she calls and she says, hey, like, what are you doing? Your loan is about up. And my partner is not going to be cool with extending. So either sell it or you're going to get foreclosed on. And I said, well, what can we do? She said, give me the listing. She's an agent as well. And I'll stave off foreclosure and we'll get it moved for you. 
So they ended up selling it, I think, for $159, right? Mm -hmm. And after all the closing costs, I brought a check to closing to pay to sell my house. I paid $1,000 on the nose to sell my house. Isn't that crazy? That is so crazy. if I would have wow. taken the first offer that I got, I would have made $18,500. But instead, I rode the thing down and had to pay to sell my house. And that exact same thing happens to people all the time in multifamily. They're worried about what do I get? What do I get? What's my portion of the equity? What's my portion of the fees? This, that, and the other thing. The most important thing that you can do as a new investor trying to break into a new space, whether it's flipping or whether it's you know big stuff, multifamily, commercial, otherwise, is to get in the game. And if you can do that under the wing of somebody that's been there uh, a time or two, it's worth every freaking penny. So a very long-winded example there, mm -hmm. but it's human nature to want it because you've never done a deal. You don't know when there's ever going to be a deal again. This is flipping. That was the thing. I needed to make 30 grand because I didn't, it might take another year to get another one. You know, when in reality, I started flipping, you know, a home every couple of months and ultimately about 10 a year, you know, towards the, the end of my, my flipping run, which was insane. And I don't advise anyone do. It's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of chaos, but it's that, it's that scarcity mindset that there's not going to be another one. Early goings, the best investment you can make is in your own progression, your own knowledge. And if you can make a couple bucks alongside of somebody that knows way more than you, do it. Don't split hairs over what your share is. Oh, I absolutely agree. I, you know, especially as a as a new investor, like there's nothing that you're gonna know that you can bring to someone who owns a thousand units, right? Besides, maybe you have some people you know who can capital raise or something yeah. along those lines, right? But, you know, just taking five or two or whatever percentage of a deal and getting your foot in and learning from those people is is invaluable. Right. And sitting here and splitting hairs and trying to get seven percent instead of five percent and trying to make as much money as you can. Your first deal, it just it doesn't make sense. And, you know, just just like trying to, you know, nickel and dime your investors, like if you get in with uh -huh. them, you make them a great deal. They will come back for you. Right. Forever. Right. And yeah. they may not put fifty thousand. They put may put five hundred thousand, right? Yes, sir. But you, they're not going to give you five hundred thousand. They're not going to give you five hundred thousand to start with until you prove yourself able to be worth that amount of money, right? Mm -hmm. And I I think it's the same with with being a general partner. You just you take what you can get, right? And especially in this hot market, right? There's a lot of people that are finding a lot of great deals, and I honestly I don't know how they're finding them because I, a lot of what I'm seeing is just is just awful deals, but. You know, there are people that are continuously doing deals, right? And that's because they have the systems in place. They have the right people in place. Like they know certain people, right? So, you know, ride on those coattails of those people, right? It doesn't have to be forever. It doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to be slave to that person for the rest of your real estate career, but get going, get your foot in the door, take action, right? And that's one of the ways to do is add value to that individual, right? Um, you know, whatever that ends up being, just add value somehow, right? Um, what you said is so valuable there is the willingness to do that and particularly with the investors. Cause if you, you know, financing is the, is, is the element of the deal that controls all the other elements of the deal. If you can have the best deal in the world, but if you have no money, doesn't do anything for you. And the old adage goes, if you find a deal, the money will come to an extent, but having those existing relationships that you can call on and the people that go and they sing your praises, that's how you build a network and that's how you build a real business. And it doesn't stop just when you've done the first deal. We talked about this before we hopped on here. I'm partnering with like a legitimate, you know, big wig of the multifamily industry mm -hmm. because this property that I just contracted, it's, it's big. It's a big deal. It's the biggest deal I've ever done. Mm -hmm. So could I go do it myself? Probably. In fact, I'm sure I can. But would I do it optimally? Am I going to negotiate with this lender uh, the best possible way because there's stuff in you know these larger loans this one's going to be you know up around 10 million bucks so there's stuff that just doesn't exist when you're buying a 13 plex or a 20 plex or even a 60 plex so i'm calling in the big guns because i'm not too proud to admit when i you know 
I don't know something or I think that I might not be the best. And, you know, to, to be successful in this business and over the long term, you have to align yourself with the best in class. You know, brokers, lenders, deal finders, capital raisers, contractors, property managers, you know, vendors, all this stuff is important. And the more that you can align yourself with the best, the, you know, ultimately, the more successful your career will be, even if it's just a little bit at a time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think you can, you, you partner with those people because you can leverage their experience and their, and their networks and, and everything they can use, right? But it can also continue to help you, help you get deals, right? You can use their investors to, to move forward. You can use their knowledge to move forward, right? And, and ultimately, multifamily is a team sport. You know, it, there's individuals who could probably take down a 10, you know, $10 million property by themselves, right? But they're probably have enough money that they're going to take down a thousand units, right? And, and, and bigger, right? So you got to bring people into it, whether that's on a JV or a syndication or however you want to structure that. Like, don't, you don't, 100% of no deal is, is, or I would say, what is that term? Like 10% of, you know, a, a good deal is better than 100% of a no deal or whatever. Is that what the yeah. phrase is? Yeah. My friend Matt Aitchison likes to say that he'd rather have a slice of watermelon rather than an entire grape. It's, good, it's a good point. Good point. I like that. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, so, so on that, I kind of dig a little bit deeper into that. So um, I know that you've been kind of, you got, you're a part of a lot of different masterminds and um, I didn't even hear of half of them until you mentioned them to me. And, <laughs> and, and I think that's, really how how much emphasis i guess and importance you place on those masterminds and where you are today because i i know that you've talked to them a lot and i see every time we go to a conference you like know some other person i've never met because of this this connection that you met at this one guy and you know whatever so you know how did how much you think value do you place on those masterminds and where you are today it's a cult i'm just kidding no, it's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today without them. As I mentioned, when the question was, you know, dropped in my ear, would you buy it? The 13 unit seller financing, really great terms, creative, you know, didn't really have to have a tremendous amount of experience or even capital on my own, uh, on my own to get into this thing. So I, who I went to first was, um, some of my my peers in a, a mastermind group called M1, which stands for March to a Million. So we seek to be whole life millionaires. So that's financially, meaning our horizontal income exceeds our living expenses. And if we don't want to go to work, we don't have to go to work. We build our mission. Um, you know, authentic relationships, genuine contribution to our community, um, age-defying health. You know, it's no good to be a bazillionaire at 45 if you have a heart attack and die. Um, and then lastly, which is probably one of my favorites right up there with, um, with the horizontal income is bucket list adventures. So we just go do epic stuff. You know, we drive Ferraris around the racetrack in Montreal or, you know, mastermind in, in an affinity pool overlooking uh, the arch in Cabo St. Lucas or, you know, go skydiving together or climb a, climb a mountain. Like, and that's what it's about. You know, you should be um, diligent or I guess conscious of what you really want to do in life, what, all the things that are on the menu, which ones you want to choose and make a plan to do them. Because a lot of people, it seems like we just, we do what we're expected or supposed to do. And all of a sudden you're 40 years old and have you, have you actually done any of that stuff? So in my adult life, I'm proud to say that I've ticked off a lot of the boxes that are on there. And guess what? New ones are getting planted every day. And, you know, we're rolling into 2020 here. I've got a pretty ambitious list for, for 2020. But that's what we're about. And when I took this deal to them, there were a handful of guys that owned significant rental portfolios who took me under their wing. And, you know, they helped me get to the finish line. Did they see everything from across the country or across the world in some cases? No, um, nor were they supposed to. You know, they gave me, out of the goodness of their hearts, counsel and advice, you know, going through this whole process and helped me to get it done, which has done wonders for my, you know, finances, my confidence and, you know, my whole life's trajectory. And without them, I, I 
could have just pondered the question and say, I don't know. I don't know how to do it. Let it pass. And I could still be flipping houses, mm-hmm. which I tell you what, I didn't really like doing on a large scale. One or two at a time. Cool. 10 at a time. Not fun. Yeah. I mean, and I, and I think it kind of goes back to the teamwork thing. Like you, you find a group of people that are out of the same mindset as you that are going the same places that may have done the same things that you want to do. Right. And, you know, and success breeds success, right? Mm-hmm. You constantly hang out with five people who just sit around on the couch and go play net or watch Netflix and just drink beer all the time. That's kind of where you're going to gravitate yeah. to. Absolutely. Right? But if you hang out with people like Phil, if you hang out with people like Robert Kiyosaki, like, you know, the, these, these big names in, in real estate or business or whatever your, your habit is you want to get into, whatever business you want to get into, and you gravitate those through those people, you will be successful, right? You will take on those, those habits, right? Because you're looking to them as mentors, right? Whether you think about it or not, like those people that you're dealing with are mentors. You're pooling your resources together into a collective that you can share lessons on, right? You can talk about good deals. You can talk about bad deals. You can share connections and networks and, and it's just, you know, and a lot of people just see, Oh, I had to spend money on that to get anything out of it. But you, you think about it, like you spend $10,000 to join a mastermind. That's probably, you know, 10 times that you're going to make off of the people that you're interacting with. Right. Yeah. A hundred times. My net, my yeah. net worth has gone up more than a hundred times what I've invested since I've, yeah. been, since I've joined the mastermind. So I don't know how more, much more of a, you know, compelling, you know, statement I could give you on that. Um, it, again, it goes back to mindset and, you know, if the, if the money to go on the trip or to, to basically, well, you're paying for friends or whatever. Okay, fine, whatever. Um, but I like these people. So that's what I'm going to do. And it's, it's done wonders for me and it's done wonders for others that I've seen in the tribe. And you kind of gave me a nice segue into the other group that, um, that I'm a part of, which is called go abundance. Um, M one is March to a million. So we're trying to, you know, there's millionaires in the group, but we're trying to get to that, that threshold and net worth millionaire, which, you know, what does that do for you? Not much. Maybe it makes you sleep a little bit better at night, but once you have that status, you can really start leveraging, um, you know, banks and assets and different things to make that grow, which is cool. So the first million is, is the critical, is the critical one and go abundance. And also M1 is, um, is a co-ed mastermind group, which is great. Um, go abundance is actually for, for men only. And, um, the tribe of healthy, wealthy, generous men who choose to lead epic lives. And as far as the who's who of the real estate group, like the real estate community, just about everyone who's anyone is a part of it. Um, I'm not going to name drop, but if you want to seek out some more info, goabundance.com uh, or the a book that really sums up um, the power of of who you surround yourself with. It's called Tribe of Millionaires because that's what Go Abundance is. It's uh, the Tribe of Millionaires. You can go to that website, um, tribeofmillionaires.com, and I think they're still giving away the book for free. It's a cool, easy read, 200 page, um, you know, parable about or fable about how, um, you know, someone's life can change when they change their peer group. And going back to something that you said about like, they're your mentors and you're going to have to, you know, whatever. Um, it's, it's actually deeper than that. Um, the, you know, the core of, of what we need as humans is to belong. You know, the worst thing is to be an outcast, right? So if you're striving to do these things around people who are not interested in them, you're almost self-outcasting, which is uncomfortable. So you're going back to Netflix and Xbox. And and don't get me wrong, I love both. Um, (laughs) Was watching uh, Jack Ryan uh, Mm. just last night. or That's Amazon in it. I binge watched that the other day, yeah. There's a, Prime, yeah. there's a swick there's a swick in jack ryan and mm-hmm. he turns out to be a pretty cool character so anyway um i digress look we like those things too but if you have a bigger mission a bigger purpose in your life you have to be around other people that are doing those things if health is not a priority for you but the three or four guys that are in your what we call pods the folks that you talk to every week on a pretty regular basis um are running marathons and ironmans and you know 
15% body fat or less. And, and just, you know, I mean, they're taking care of themselves or eating well, and that's not a priority for you. Either you're going to fix that part of your life to fit in. It's just psychology, or you're not going to be a part of the group. So, you know, in GoBundance and in M1 as well, we don't pick and choose, you know, you could have a hundred million dollars, but if you're a crappy, you know, father, husband, friend, you know, are you, are you that useful? If, if you've got a hundred million dollars and you give nothing to charity, either monetarily or time-wise, what did you really do for your community? What was your purpose? Um, you know, so we, we don't pick and choose. You've got to be striving to become the whole package. Nobody's perfect. You know, everyone's got their, their strengths and weaknesses, but we are striving to uplevel each other in all of those areas to be better in every way. So, you know, if you somehow join the group and you're not pulling your weight in one of them, you're going to, you're going to self uh, subconsciously want to assimilate to that higher level. And that's what happened for me across several of them. So yeah, I wouldn't be where I am today um, if it wasn't for those groups. So I appreciate the opportunity to talk a little bit about them and, you know, hope some folks check them out. And, um, you know, if you do think it's might be a, a match for you, hit me up on Facebook or something and, um, you know, happy to do a quick call with you um, to see if you might be a fit. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, I love that. And we'll include all those, uh, all those links in the show notes as well. Sweet. Um, so uh, here we're running a little bit low on time, but I want to, uh, to get to um, one last point here before we get into the uh, snapshot questions. Um, so if you guys didn't know, uh, Phil is a best-selling author. He wrote this book, uh, Your VA Loan and How It Can Make You a Millionaire. And you got a physical copy? Look at yeah, you. I got a physical mine just, mine just came in a couple days ago. Awesome. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm dedicated to uh, learning, I guess. So, <laughs> um, but it, I mean, it's a good read. And uh, if you're interested in, and, uh, or well, I guess you've been, actually, I don't want to talk about it. How about you talk about it? Best-selling author, Phil, wrote a book. Tell us about it. You said it's a good read. Roll the credits. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so, you know, as a college dropout, writing a book was maybe one of my worst ideas of my life because boy was it um a lot of mental anguish so this is the first chapter i mean it, it starts with a reminder of yeah i'm a college dropout I've, dr I've had a lot of coffee today and i'm trying to crank this thing out not because i want to i'd much rather be you know uh on on uh you know playstation or or out surfing or or hanging out with my friends but because i believe it's important uh i believe it's important because as military members, we're very purpose-driven when we're in the military, we have our specific job. You know, if you're the, the corpsman or the doc, medical's you. If you're WEPs, you're worried about, you know, all the weapons and keeping all that stuff inventoried and clean and right. You know, communications, same idea. Um, if you're on a sub like Anthony, I don't know what you guys do, it's a secret. Can't so tell you. you do something down there. Can't I don't tell know. That to kill you. you guys just have a party, I think. But anyway, yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, so you have your specific mission, and that's it. And everyone else on the team takes care of their specific mission to accomplish the overarching mission, right? But when you get out, it's tough because you're no longer that identity. You're no longer, you know, Doc. You're no longer Webs. You're no longer a Swick. You're no longer a pilot. You're no longer, you know, a Submariner you're just a dude or chick. You, you, no one cares, basically. Um, so before you separate, I think it's really important that you have a plan of what your life is supposed to look like. Again, going back to this, you know, bucket list stuff or what you want your family life to look like or financial life to look like, you have to have a plan. And uh, what I saw as a real estate agent is with the VA loan is some people use it really, really, really well. They bought good deals. They, you know, maybe took a, a, a property that was a little bit of an ugly duckling, added value, used it to live in for three, four years. Then they would leave and go to another duty station and rent it and would receive additional income every month. And as I mentioned before, you know, they're paying off a mortgage at a certain rate every month, every year, getting tax benefits, building their wealth, right? They may not see it in the form of cash every 
month, like a rental payment, but make no mistake, your wealth is building through the forces of real estate, through principal pay down, which is called amortization, through tax benefits, through um, appreciation, which happens in real estate. We don't bank on it uh, on a, you know, a huge basis because of, you know, what happened in 2008. We don't want to count on it being, you know, 5% a year or something aggressive. But if you hold a piece of property long enough, it's going to be worth more than what you paid for it. And if for some reason that doesn't happen, at least someone else has paid off your mortgage. You can sell it, you can refinance it and recapture that capital to do something that benefits you. So, you know, they started with one property, then they went to another duty station and maybe they got another VA loan or maybe they got an FHA or conventional if, you know, it didn't make sense to get a, another VA loan. Over the course of a military career, they rack up, you know, half a million, a million bucks worth of real property that those forces are working for your behalf. You get out, you take your retirement, and hopefully the cash flow is from the rentals is at a point that it was as if you hadn't left active duty. At that point, you're free. You can do with life what you want. And what I hope some of you do is that, you know, you go back to your families who've been missing you and, you know, uh, make up for lost time with them. Um, that maybe you teach school, teach high school history and explain to these kids that are going out into the world how stuff really is, how life is on the battlefield and the ship, real world stuff. Not, you know, just what you can get out of a regurgitating a textbook. You know, I hope people return to their faith organizations, their churches, and, you know, provide for a better, safer, more whole communities. I hope that people uh, will continue to run for office the way that like uh, Dan Crenshaw or Scott Taylor or mm -hmm. Tulsi Gabbard or, or good old Mayor Pete um, <laughs> are doing right now that are on, on the national stage. And they're bringing a different flavor, a flavor of service, a flavor of, of contribution to country back into politics that is so sorely missing. And if you watch the news at all, you, you know that I'm right on that. Um, you know, and, and more than that, well, I mean, that's, that's the higher order goal, right? But when I was selling houses, you know, I saw guys from my own command, I mean, a special ops command that lost their houses to foreclosure or short sale. One, one guy ended up on homeless. And I'm like, how could this be? This is one of the most elite warriors in all the US military and the dude is homeless. How can this be? And what sent him down, you know, this, this uh, tragic spiral was he bought a really bad house. He got bad counsel from, you know, a real estate agent that was just looking to get a commission, a lender that was looking to jack up the fees and the rates and take as much as they could from this man that had served our country honorably. And that doesn't sit well with me. So I know that I'm not going to be able to help, you know, everyone or even probably a significant portion of those who wear the uniform. But already, I mean, the book's been out a week and a half and I'm getting calls from people I haven't talked to in, you know, five, six, ten years that are saying that they got something and that they have a new plan or they have a new tool for their toolbox on how they can use the VA loan benefit, which enables us to purchase a primary residence with zero down to leverage the power of real estate into real wealth over time. Doesn't happen overnight, but if you let that stew for 10, 15, 20 years in military career, you will be very happy that you did. So that is your VA loan and how it can make you a millionaire. I hope you cruise over to Amazon and pick up a copy for yourself, either Kindle or physical, or if you're not a veteran, you're listening to us, um, you know, the holidays are right around the corner. If you'd pick up a hard copy and give it to your favorite veteran for Christmas, that'd be pretty rad too. There you go. Yeah. So if you're a veteran and you're interested in using a VA loan, please check out the book. Uh, I think it is great. I think a lot of people um, don't fully understand the, the power of the VA loan. I've used it twice already and it's, it's made me a, a great, a great amount of money so far. Um, and I think it's an incredible opportunity to purchase properties that, you know, otherwise you wouldn't be able to purchase. So, um, well, so on that note, I want to get into the snapshot round cause we're running low on time here. Are you ready? I'm ready. Awesome. All right, here we go. Snapshot, tube two. First question. What is the number one thing you need as a new investor to get started? Tenacity. The ability to get back up when you've gotten knocked down because the answer as a new investor is pretty much always going to be no. 
So you need to find a way around, above, through, somebody to partner with to get whatever the puzzle piece that you're missing in is to get to a deal. So your first phase there is education, then it's network, and then it's action. Got to take the action. Love it. Tenacity. All right. Uh, what is one nugget of investing knowledge you want to give us? I think I probably tied one and two together there. People tell me no all the time. I make offers on properties. It's a no. It's usually a no. It's very uncommon that a property is listed and I'm saying, I'm going to say, yes, Mr. Or Miss seller, I'm willing to pay that price. Usually not. Um, the deals out there today are not found, they're created. So you have to be willing to hear the word no, and you have to press ahead anyway. And that's in finding the deal, it's in funding the deal, it's in working with vendors, it's everything. So welcome no. Welcome the word no, because it's one step closer to yes. Good point, man. Yeah, I love it. All right, and then last question. What is your dream, Phil? Okay, so I could take that a few different ways. Um, my dream is to sell 1 million copies of your VA loan. So I'm giving myself 15 years in which to accomplish that goal. And so that is sort of my contribution arm that I, wanna, I want to get that many out there and let people do with it what they want. Mm -hmm. um, slightly more quantifiable, I want to make 100 people millionaires in my lifetime. And it's the same reason for the, you know, the writing and the spreading of the book. It's giving people tools that I've learned along my journey to better themselves, their families, their communities, and you know, as corny as it may sound, our world. And then back to me personally, I want to personally own $20 million in real estate. At that point, I might chill out a little bit. Right now, my partnerships own about 15 million. So not all of that is mine. Um, once I get to 20 million, that is mine. So that's a portfolio of, I don't know, 80 to 100 million, most likely, um, you know, because it is a team sport. Mm -hmm. So if I can keep a, you know, 20, 25, 30% of my deals for the what I bring to the table. It's about a hundred million. Um, once that happens, just the power of the loan pay down, the uh, appreciation, the tax benefits. I don't know how you could spend much more money than that in the world. I mean, maybe as I get a little closer, I can figure out some ways. Um, but at that point, I think, uh, I think real estate financially wise that I'm going to be pretty good. So awesome, that's man. where we're headed. And I, and I, I want to kind of bring, I want to emphasize this because, you know, the first two things he talked about there were things that didn't directly involve him, right? It was helping other people reach their goals. And I think that's, that's key. And, and really whatever business you decide to do is, you know, it's the money is not the end goal. The money is just a vehicle to get you to your dreams, rather, you know, whether that's a financial dream, whether that is a, a familial dream, a spiritual dream, whatever that is, like the money and real estate is just a vehicle to get there, right? And, you know, the people that you can help along the way, that's really what makes a difference. That's really what makes the journey worth it. And I think that's, that's awesome. That, that's how you, do, how you describe your dreams now. Well, Phil, we're out of time. Um, so one last thing I want to see, how can people get a hold of you? They want to contact you. So I got yelled at for one recently saying Facebook. But, I mean, if you I mean, put me on Facebook and actually send me a message that says, hey, you know, heard you on Anthony's show, then that's a good way. Um, philcapron.com, P-H-I-L-C-A-P-R-O-N.com is sort of my landing page. So there's a link to the book in there. Um, you know, I'm working on a podcast by the same name, actually not quite the same name as the book, but, but ties in. So um, funny asides, you heard it here first. Um, so my family pronounces our last name Capron, okay. but yeah, I told my one guy who's real into podcasting, oh yeah, we're going to call it the same name as the book. He's like, it's too long. It won't fit on the tile. He's like, so how about your VA loan with Phil Caprone? I'm like, so I got to change my name for a better podcast. I was like, uh-huh. I'm like, I'm in. <laughs> so, so plan on having that, uh, looking for that on iTunes and all the other places in early January, you'll see this 
dapper gentleman on there for sure because he's had quite the journey with his VA loans and his other purchases and is well on his way. Um, so yeah, I'd say Facebook or the website. Um, there's some links to various emails and stuff on there. Um, you know, would be would be your t your top two. And again, if you want to check out the masterminds, www.goM1.com for M1 or uh, GoBundance.com for GoBundance. Um, would definitely be be happy to have a you know quick fifteen minute conversation with you if you think one would be a, a good fit for you and help you on your journey because um, you know I'm a believer it's helped my it's helped me so much in my my journey that I want to share it with as many people as I can. Definitely, definitely, man. Well, uh, listeners, if you've uh, stick with us this long, I appreciate it. It's a, it's a long episode, <laughs> but I think we definitely got a lot out of it. I mean, I I definitely enjoyed this conversation and, and learned some stuff as well. I mean, I got a whole whole bunch of notes here ready to, to kind of absorb. Um, but Phil, I appreciate you coming on and sure. uh, Caprone, Caprone. I got to remember. I feel like I VA always say it wrong. So. VA loan, Caprone, VA, VA loan Caprone. with Caprone. All right. Got it. I'll, I'll try to remember that when I, when I pronounce your name early for the intro. Okay. So. All right, Phil. Well, I appreciate you coming on and um, yeah, let me know how I can help in the future. I really look forward to your podcast as well. Um, I, I, uh, I'm looking forward to getting interviewed as well, but. Sweet. Um, I can't wait. So, cool, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on and uh, we'll catch you later. Thank you, brother. See ya. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to Lessons of Real Estate Show, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please leave us a five-star rating and review, and don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. But wait, there's more. If you're interested in multifamily investing and don't know where to get started, we're offering a free guide to analyzing and picking a market. All you have to do is visit our website at pintocapitalinvestments.com and join our mailing list where you can receive updates and investment opportunities if you qualify. Again, the website is pentocapitalinvestments.com. Thank you for listening and catch you next time on Lessons in Real Estate Show.